Welcome to another inspiring sister's message. We hope you are blessed by this ministry. At the beginning of the year, all of us have experienced load shedding. If you haven't, I want to know why. Where do you live and who do you know? So all of us have experienced load shedding. And at the beginning of the year, we had no electricity for four days. Four days. Our inverter uh, eventually ran dry. And um, I remember going to the bathroom one night. Uh, we live in a complex, and our generator in our guardhouse was still very much working. And our house is very close to the guardhouse. And I remember going to the bathroom, not needing a torch or a rechargeable light, because there was enough light for me to get to the bathroom. But on the way back, the generator just stopped working. So there I was in complete darkness, kind of trying to orientate myself and feeling my way back to my bed. And in that moment, because I'm a church girl and because the theme for this year is light up your life, I felt God say to me, girls, we should not be feeling our way through life. We should not be living on other people's light. We need to experience the light of God for, for ourselves. John 8, 12, um, a scripture that's kind of framed this year for us. It says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Even in dark seasons, ladies, we can have the light of life if we know him. Now, I kind of feel we need to be like solar lights. If you've got a solar lamp in your garden, you will know that it gets charged by the sun, and when it gets dark, it just comes on. We need to be charged by the Son of God. When we walk through dark seasons, His light should ignite within us. Amen. Now, King David in the Bible was a man that faced many, many battles. And in the book of 1 Chronicles 20, I'm going to read a couple of verses here. It says this, Joab, who was a commander in David's army, led the army in successful attacks against the cities and villages of Ammon. After destroying them, he laid siege in Rabbah and conquered it. The next war was against the Philistines again. Then verse 5 says, During another war with the Philistines, Halanan killed Ahimi. And then it goes on to say, during yet another battle at Gath, a giant with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot defiled and taunted Israel. Now, there was multiple battles, and you could be sitting here and you could be saying, my life pretty much re represents what you've just read, Kogi. I've gone from one battle to the next. I've battled with my health, with my family, with my finances, with my kids. Maybe you're sitting here and you think there's a giant with 12 fingers and 12 toes taunting you. We've been there. I've been through some battles. We've gone through some battles when I'm thinking, really giant with 12 fingers and 12 toes? What are you doing here? I know Jesus. I serve God. I'm in full-time ministry. Why is my child in hospital needing an operation? Why am, am I being held up in my home with my daughter and my husband and my child? Why is this happening? 
But the scriptures tell me in Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. You will face challenges, you will face battles, but God is right there with you. Jesus in John 16.33 says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You will have trouble? Really? You want me to say yes to this Jesus, but we will have trouble? Girls, imagine life without him. I knew life without Jesus. I know life with Jesus. And I do not know how people journey with life if do not have a God in heaven that they can speak to, that can watch them and guide their paths. Psalm 144 says, he trains my hands for war and gives my fingers skills for battle. We will have challenges. We will have battles. But the God of heaven trains us for battle. Deuteronomy 20 verse 4, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies and gives you victory. We need to approach our battles and dark seasons in a way that we don't get taken out before the victory. Because if we know Christ, we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory because we know him. And my last scripture before I give you the title, Joshua 1.9 says this. He was about to step in and take over the promised land. He's just about to take over from Moses, very big shoes to fill, and God says this to him. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Basically, God is saying, go out, face tomorrow, I've got you. And the title of my message today is called, God's Got You. God's Got You, girls. Now, a few years back, we were invited to a friend's kid's birthday party. He was turning eight. Now, you know it's an Indian person when you do not have friends in that age group. You get invited to an eight-year-old birthday party. People can relate to that. And there's more food than children. Anyway, we get to this birthday party. It was at a laser tag venue. And if you're familiar with the game of laser tag, it's, they create a city that's under siege and it's got pretty much the sound effects, bad lighting and all of those things. And the goal of it is to have two teams. You've got a, a, a set amount of time to go and capture the bomb. And that's pretty much the game. Kids love it. They were having an incredible time. Um, and the adults did what adults do, catching up from the last time we met at the same kid's birthday party. And at some point in the afternoon, the adults decided we should compete against each other. We should form two teams. We should take up time in this kid's birthday party and tell them they don't have the battlefield anymore because we want to compete with each other. Now, if you know kids, they don't have their lunch at these birthday parties. They do not leave the, they, they do not leave this place. It's my turn and I don't want anyone else to do it. But the adults decided we want to go. So we had some grumpy kids, but we had some very happy adults. Two teams, I decided I'm not having any part of this. I will go to the grandstands and I'm gonna watch this. And while I sat in the grandstands, there were some observations that I made about who these people are in the battlefield. 
And that is what I want to share with you, observations in the battlefield and how you can maybe resonate with one of two of these thoughts. The first warrior that I saw in this battlefield was the competitive warrior. The adults lost sight of the fact that this was a kid's birthday party. They decided we want to have a turn. And you know, in life, we can become competitive warriors. And a competitive warrior, com competition can be healthy, girls, but it can be very unhealthy. It can kind of get out the best in us, but also the worst in us. It can build, it can destroy, we can achieve much, we can stretch ourselves, or it can blind us from the goals that God has got for us. It can lead to jealousy, it can lead to envy. If you're sitting here today and maybe you can, you're saying, I resonate with that warrior. It can make you do things that you should not be doing. You can get into the battle of debt. How many of you have compared yourself to somebody else and bought that car that you shouldn't, or the house that you shouldn't, or even the shoes that you shouldn't? Why? Because of competition. What about competition with your kids? Maybe you want your kids to be or do something that they're not destined to do because you're competing with your neighbor, your sister, the other person in the connect group. Competition is healthy, but it can be very, very damaging. And as girls, I feel like we very easily can fall into the trap of competition. Galatians 6 says, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you don't need to compare yourself to anyone else. So today, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, that is me. That I can identify with this kind of warrior. Maybe you want to relook at some decisions that you are making. The next observation was a friend of mine and a family member. They were dressed. They looked absolutely fantastic, fabulous in their camo uniform. The next day, on the WhatsApp groups, and if you looked at those pics, you would have thought they won player of the game. They looked amazing. They had the right pose. They had the right ammunition. And I'm thinking, I was at the game. You did nothing. I was at the game. You didn't even get into the battlefield. You stayed outside the battlefield. Why are you posting this? We are living in, at times where it's so easy to want to live behind a mask. And the next type of warrior is the mask warrior. These days, social media makes it really easy and attractive for us to live beyond the mask. Henry David Thoreau says, be yourself, not, the, not your idea of what you think somebody else's idea of yourself should be. And a clinical psychologist, Dr. Richard Cherry says, the lies people tell on social media may make it impossible for them to access their real memories as they come to believe the version of events they've presented online. And these days, social media makes it so easy, so attractive for people to live behind a mask. So if you're here, and maybe, maybe you have spent far too much time in social media, maybe you've gone out to dinner with your husband and you've kind of posted, Date night with my husband, married 35 years, date night from Tuesday, never missed a date night. But did you speak to your husband on date night? 
Were you on the phone? Taking the perfect pic so you can post it on social media the next day, so you can tell the world that you had date night with your husband. What about going to your kid's school and saying, took my lunch break to support little Johnny, and I'm thinking, have you applauded him? Have you encouraged him? Have you been there? Or are you just there because it just looks good on social media? It is a trap. People do not know how to do relationships anymore. People don't want you to just like, comment, they need love. What happened to good old-fashioned loving on people? People don't want comments, they want conversations. Pick up the phone, speak to people. Don't reduce your life to 146 characters. That's the, not the life of abundance that God has got for you and I. And maybe if you're struggling in this area, you might want to take a fast from social media. It's worth doing. Take a fast from social media. How, what about this? If you post or repost a scripture that doesn't count for quiet time with God, okay? So when you repost or you say, oh, wow, let me go onto this motivational site. They've got lots of scriptures. I've written, I've, I've read five today. Okay, quiet time with God. Thank you, God, for my day. Let me go to work. I kind of read a couple of scriptures. No, no, no. Social media allows you to do this. You know, sometimes if the world thinks that your life's perfect, your kids are perfect, you are perfect, you start believing it, you're never going to change you. You're going to think it's okay. There's no room for, I need to change this area in my life. Ralph Walder Emerson says, to be yourself in a world that is constantly trying to make you something else is the greatest accomplishment. In the book of 1 Samuel 17, we read a story of David about to kill Goliath. And in that moment, Saul, who was king at the time, says, use my armor. You need to put this on you to go and kill this giant. Now, Saul's armor would have looked pretty impressive because he was the king. But God doesn't want you to win your battles with what looks impressive. But he wants you to win your battles with what he's equipped you with. Right, so, so the question today, maybe today you can identify as this type of warrior. It might be time for you to start removing that mask. Remember, God's got you. You don't need the mask. He wants to use you. The third type of warrior in my illustration was me on the grandstands. I'm sometimes a very controlling person. So can you imagine me on the grandstands watching this group and thinking, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing this? If you're not in the game, you can't play. And if you're a spectator, you can't influence anything. So the question is, have you sometimes become the spectator in your marriage? You know what's going wrong. You know he's never going to do that. Are you sitting and saying, well, you need to change? I remember for many years I used to say to my husband, uh, you need to plan the holidays. I, I kind of do this and I do this and I think you need to plan the holidays. And he says, okay, I can do that. And I know he's not clueless, not going to be able to. But I kind of watched. I'm going to see. Well, let's see. Maybe he's going to come on today and maybe he's going to plan the holiday. One week, what, two weeks, three months, two years, four years. I was the one that didn't go on holiday. 
Why? Because I became a spectator in my marriage instead of saying that is my strength, that is not his strength, that's a weakness of his. So when it comes to your marriage, do not be a spectator, be a participator, be in the game in order to influence it. Proverbs 29:18 says, when there is no vision, no, sorry, I'm, I'm somewhere else. It's my first time I'm preaching, so I'm allowed to have a moment. <laughs> So the question that you have today is, have you become a spectator in your marriage? Have you become a spectator in your kids' world? Who is shaping your kids? Are you watching the world shape your kids? Are you watching social media shape your kids? Or are you going and being intentional on what your kids watch, what you want them to do, and who you want them to become? So maybe today you can relate to this kind of worry and maybe it's time for you to get off the grandstands and become a player in your own dream life. Amen? The next warrior is what I called a mindless warrior. There was one person that was there, one lady. Now, I have to explain the game to you. You you wear a vest, okay? You go to a recharging station and you get recharged. You use your ammunition, and if it's empty, you can go back to the station and get refueled. So I had one lady that put no points, no points on the board. She ran around like a crazy person, just shooting, getting refueled, and kind of trying and doing the same. I'm thinking, are you that girl that comes to church every Sunday, gets refueled, do nothing in the week, and come back the following Sunday? You cannot be that person. God wants you to have a plan for your life. He wants you to have a vision for your life. He wants you to be part of what's going on in church life. Because if you're that person and you're thinking, why is God not coming through for me? Maybe you need to pause. Faith without works is dead. So you can come to church. You can get refueled. But if you do not have an action plan for your life, for your kids, God's unable to use you. God's unable to bless you. God's unable to do anything with you. So that was the mindless warrior. Proverbs 29, 18, that's where I was when I got a bit confused, says, when there is no vision, people perish. They have a vision for your life. Don't expect God to bless your steps if you are not willing to move your feet. Okay? So maybe if you've come every single week but have not done more than that, you need to reevaluate yourself today. The fifth warrior that I identified was Mr. Strategic Warrior himself. There was one individual that knew the game. He played it before. He knew exactly where to go. He isolated himself from the rest of the team. He perched himself quite high and thought, okay, I've got this. You see, God wants us to have strategy He wants us to plan. He wants us to prepare, but you cannot do life without him. All the strategy in the world, all the planning in the world will only get you so far. In the book of Samson, great story of Samson, he was destined to be used mightily by God. He was strong. He had everything going for him. He did so many things in his life, but there was a point in Judges 16, 20, when Delilah screams, screams out at him and says, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When, you. when he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free, 
but he didn't realize that the Lord had left him. What a scary, scary statement. Sometimes we get so used to doing stuff on our own that we, forgot, we forget the God that got us to where we are. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So girls, as I said, we need to plan, we need to be strategic, we need to prepare, but we need Jesus. And that brings me to my last and final warrior. So in the middle of the game, my phone starts to ring. And it was a phone call from my son, Matthew. So I thought, okay, he's pocket dialing me. Ignore it, because he's in the game. It rings again, and then I thought, he does have peanut allergies that can get pretty serious. Answer the call. So I answered the call, and I said, Matthew, okay? And he said, Mom, you're sitting up in the grandstands. You can see everything from there. Where is the bomb? Where is the bomb? Two thoughts. You can't do life without people. Don't isolate yourself. You need people, ladies. You need people. Pastor Wilma covered this this year already. We need each other. We need community. We need to be walking together. It allows our light to shine brighter. Pastor Andre this past weekend spoke about the power of good relationships. We need each other. Albert Schweitzer, so we've heard this quote before, it says, sometimes our light goes out, but it's, but it's blown again into instant flame by an encounter with another human being. So we need people. And the last type of warrior is a prayer warrior. Because Matt said this, Matthew said, mom, from up there, you can see everything. You know, we've got a God in heaven that sees everything. He is one call away, ladies. He sees what's going on, and he wants you. He wants to be in relationship with you. Psalm 116 verse 2 says, He listens to me every time I call him. Every time you call him, he listens to you. The NLT says, because he bends down to listen. How beautiful. And Psalm 120 says, In my trouble, I cried out to the Lord, and he answered me. Your heavenly Father is one phone call away. You know, when I started this evening, I shared from the book of 1 Chronicles 20. But in the book of 2 Chronicles 20, same verse, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3, there's a story of another king. It's the king Jehoshaphat, descendant of David. He's it starts by saying that there were three enemies about to attack him. Multiple battles, three enemies. And in verse 3, it says, Jehoshaphat was afraid. It's okay to be afraid sometimes, but your response when you are afraid is this. So he decided to ask the Lord what to do. He announced that everyone in Judah should fast during the special time of prayer. God's warriors ask, fast, and pray. So how do you win the battle? by asking, fasting, and praying. And God's response to that prayer was this, in verse 17. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Basically, 
God's got you. You can go out and face tomorrow. So in order for God to have you, you need to, to recap. God doesn't want you to have unhealthy competition. He doesn't want you living behind a mask, running around aimlessly, sitting and becoming a spectator in your own life. He wants you to plan, be strategic, be intentional about life, but you need him, the light of the world. For the second part of my message today, you know, when Pastor Wilma spoke about the theme being light of your life, light up your life, I thought, what are things that light up my life? My family, my friends, my church. Um, for some of you, it could be sports, hobbies, a whole lot of things. But what happens when life happens and stuff and you face tragedy in these areas? How do you get through those battles? And I want to welcome Candice onto the platform. And uh, come join me, beautiful Candice. Beautiful, beautiful Candice. Thanks, everyone. So Candice, I have to, she is a daughter in the house. She's been part of Rivers Church for 19 years, Candice. Say hello first. Say hello, because guys. <laughs> Hi, Candice. I'm so nervous. It's my you don't first need time to be as nervous. well. I said to you, this is a lounge room with a whole lot of girlfriends, and we're having a conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing my part. I'm here, and yeah. I just need God to Amen. work. <laughs> um, your testimony is powerful, and I know that as you share today, um, that ladies are going to be blessed, and it's going to be it's going to be powerful, that's all I can say. So, you've been here for how many years now? 20 years? 19. 19 years, or almost 20 years. Um, so, family background. Mum's colored, it's important to know this. Dad's Indian. Grandparents are Indian, Khoza, white, and colored. Rainbow Nation happening right here. She could be, she could be the mascot post-1994. Hallelujah. <laughs> so tell me some fun facts about Candace. Okay, so my name is Cleopatra Candace Munsami. Um, my dad named me. He was a action movie fanatic. So he named me after a actress, a black act action movie actress. Um, growing up, I was an athlete. So uh, every single race I took part in, I won, and that was the number number one rule in my house. If you don't win, you don't come back home. <laughs> Second is nothing. <laughs> yeah, so my brother and myself, um, we, we always won the trophies, and it was called the Victor and Victress Ladorum at that time. There we go. Oh, that's me. Yes. <laughs> and your brother. And my brother, yes. <laughs> so those are fun facts about Candice. Yeah, that's now it. The, the reason I shared about um, Candice being mum being colour, dad being Indian, Back then, it was, it was not the times we're living through now, because your family suffered because of that. There was a lot of abuse and a lot of anger and a lot of stuff that you had to endure as a little girl because of that. Um, and you had your grandfather 
that was living with you. So mum, dad, brother, and grandfather. Grandfather didn't know the Lord. So maybe just talk us through what happened at the age of six. Um, okay, so at the age of six, at a very tender, um, innocent age, um, I was molested by my grandfather. Um, at the age of eight, uh, there was a sex edge education talk at school and um, I learned about abuse and about how toxic that was and that's when I realized this is not on. Um, stood my ground and I said, no, this can't continue. Um, at a later stage, a couple of years later, uh, my sister arrived into my family and I had a fear for her because it was, I was also in that position and I was scared of her innocence also being taken away from her. So at that point, I became my sister's keeper. Just protecting her, watching her like a hawk and done my part in that. And Awesome, good for you, Candace. Yeah. And I know that you didn't share any of that with your parents because again, back then you didn't even know how to yeah. Um, to even attempt to let them know that this is what's happening. And I know that you haven't shared this with anyone, so I just yeah. want to say I'm sorry that happened to you. Thanks, That Kobe. should never happen to anyone, and if no one said that to you before, I'm sorry. Thanks, As Kobe. a sister's ministry, we're sorry that that's happened to you. Also, I just want to say that, yes, I was a victim, and I did not let that victim mentality, did, I did not carry that victim mentality, and I did not let that define what was ahead of me in that season. Come on. Beautiful. So when we chatted in the week, you said that was battle number one, Kogi. That was my first battle that I went through. Explain to us what happened at the age of 12. Okay, um, very briefly, uh, age of 12, it was a Sunday morning. Uh, going to church with my mom and my sister. Um, we were involved in an accident. Um, I was hurt very badly. Mom was hurt. Um, I woke up on the scene of the accident. So traumatic, uh, what, I've, what I saw. Um, blacked out from the pain. Got up in hospital. Um, my dad was at my side. Um, he, he needed to break news to me, but he couldn't. So he got a community of ladies to come through to hospital and break the news to me when I was 12 that my mom passed away. And when we spoke in the week, you said that you were at church that morning. There was a young lady that shared her testimony about dying and going to heaven. Yeah. And you felt that knowing Jesus, knowing there was life after death gave you a peace um, and was able to, to really just journey through life after mom. Yeah. But then you had dad at home, you had your grandfather who was not a nice man. Yeah. Um, you had, um, you were entering that teenage stage of life. Yeah. How, what, what did life look like for you? Oh, losing a mom at that age was difficult because I, I didn't, have the privilege of going shopping with my mom, underwear shopping, bra size shopping. I, I did not even have my menstrual cycle yet. So it was hard because my dad was there. Mm. And how was I gonna go up and talk to him about stuff like that? So I was a bit embarrassed, but at that time, 
my dad was amazing. He, he's my hero. Beautiful. And in saying that, one day got home from school and my cupboard was full of sports bras, sports underwear. Uh, my toiletry cupboard was full of uh, sanitary pads. So when the time come, I wasn't put in that position to go up and ask him for it. It was there. Beautiful. You had choice. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's a picture of God. It's a picture of God that knows what you need before you need to ask. And he's got this cupboard full of choice. You just need to open it and access it. But then a, a, a little while later, your grandfather passed away. Yeah. You were relieved. Yeah, that was, that was a bit of relief for me. Mm. Um, and that then season was gone. Yeah. And then at age 16. So very briefly, age 16, um, dad was cycling and he was knocked from the back. Badly, badly injured, um, head trauma, um, broken legs, hospitalized, and he was in a coma for 10 days. And then he passed away. At the age of 16, broken as ever, that's my hero, that's, that's gone, and so many questions, and of course, what now? What were you thinking, what were you feeling? Ah, oh, such hurt, such brokenness, such anger, and I didn't know what tomorrow brought, what now? Mm. The only parent is gone. Yeah. And, and you said that at that stage your brother was 21? Yeah, my brother was 21 at that mm. age. Mm -hmm. And um, at that time, it, he took on the role of, well, he manned up mm -hmm. to be responsible because a social worker was um, dispatched to us. Uh, it was myself, it was my sister and my brother. Um, he spoke to the social worker and said, you know what, um, these are my sisters, I wanna take care of them, give me that responsibility. Social worker was like, no, um, you're too young. So what I can do is I give you your 16-year-old sister, but your, your younger sister, your six-year-old sister, needs to go into foster care. Um, so that's what happened. So my sister went to stay with the family friend, and I stayed with my brother. And your, and your brother um, stopped going to school because obviously he needed to provide. He couldn't um, go to school and provide for you. He got a job, and you shared how your brother, there were months when you had either electricity or food. Yeah. So really just a dark, dark season. It was, it was hard. It was 21 hard year olds, it's such a big responsibility for him to take on. And he done that. And the reason why I'm here today is because of my brother. It's beautiful. And I will forever be grateful to him. But then the sun began to, sh began to shine in your life. You got married at 21 to Dev, he's on staff. There's some beautiful pictures of your marriage and your life together. Hi, gorgeous. It's beautiful. So they got so married. Looking, hey? They dated for three months, by the way. This is a good story. So they dated for three months. Dev was on the worship team. You were serving a church. Dev, no, Dev was on the worship team. And you met at a youth meeting, you said. Yes, we met at youth in Durban. He mm -hmm. was the pastor's nephew. Yeah. 
So for the young people, you need to be at youth, just, just kind of pump youth <laughs> conference a little bit. So, so Dev was on the worship team. He traveled down in December, and he came back with a wife. When you know, you know. Yeah. When you know, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, you were plugged into church, and you really had started married life with all of the excitement ahead of you. But then battle number five. Uh, um, your brother was 23? Yeah, 23. Um, got a call. My brother went out with some friends, and he was involved in an accident, and he died. Also bad, hurt bad, bad, bad. Uh, head injury again, broken legs, and yeah, he was gone. So that was me again. How, how is this always happening to me? That was the space that I was at. And you were serving God. Your husband was plugged into yeah, church. Yeah. He, again, how did that make you feel knowing that you knew God, but this was happening? Why are you picking on me? Why it's always me? So, yeah, I'm here. I'm here in your house. I'm doing what you need me to do. Why me? But then the sun began to shine again. Because you prayed for a baby girl, and you had your beautiful baby girl, Caitlin. And there's some beautiful pictures of her. Yeah, that's my Caitlin Cassidy. Gorgeous as ever. As ever. And then we welcome Cal into the world. Yes. Baby number two is Kalal. Beautiful family, and um, life was good. You had many a years, but you were approaching 35, and you were a bit anxious about getting to 35. Why? So, um, God gave me a bit of a break. Yeah. It was a 12-year break, um, and knowing my, my history, it, it wasn't, I just felt that something was coming. I don't know what it was. Um, to recall, my, my mom died at the age 35. So I knew that my time might be coming to an end at 35. So um, I started secretly preparing my, my Caitlin uh, for, the time, for when the time came that I wasn't going to be around. So preparing her in the sense that just teaching her how to wash dishes and uh, fry an egg, make tea, uh, look after her brother, make a sandwich if he's hungry, feed him cereal. Just, just in case that happened to me. I was preparing her for that. But May came, and you were 35. I turned 35, and, and, and I was still was, around. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and then you thought, I need to get myself. And you started to lose your baby fat, you said. You started to look good. You were going to gym. <laughs> you were preparing for your holiday in December. Oh. And December, one December morning, you were going to gym with the kids like you've done so many times before. Yeah. Yeah, December came, and it was December 17th. On my way back from, from gym, turning onto my road, my house is 200 meters away from me, there was a loud bang. And I felt my car spin, and I, it was dark. It was just black all around me. So... A couple minutes later, I got up, and my vehicle was full of white smoke. 
So trying to figure out what's going on. Um, I remember seeing people um, and then the people looking into the car and someone said, she has kids. And that's when I realized that my two kids were at the back. So screaming and crying and trying to figure out what's going on and fighting with my seatbelt to get to them. Finally, my, I took my seatbelt out, jumped in the back. Immediately, I put my hand on their chest. Um, I put my hand on Cal's chest. His heart was beating, but he was unconscious. I put my hand on Caitlin's chest. She was looking at me and blinking. And I just looked at her and I told her, you're gonna be okay, mom's here, mom got you. And that has significance in my home because whenever the kids are scared and whenever it's not, whenever they're scared, we will always tell them, mom, dad is here, we've got you. So that, she understood that, so I kept on repeating that to her. But in that space as well, I was screaming and crying and praying. And I remember there was a lady that stopped and she came to my window and she looked at me and she said, I'm here to help you, but you need to stop screaming because your daughter's looking at you and you're scaring her. And that's when I realized what I was doing, so I immediately stopped. There was another person that stopped. Uh, it was a doctor, so he came over to my window and uh, he, took, he took my daughter's hand and he, he said, okay, I'm gonna check her pulse. He checked her pulse and then he looked at me and he said, her pulse is slowing down. So I looked at him and I'm like, okay, must I do mouth to mouth? He says, right, do it. So I started and at that time there was a gush of blood that just flowed out her nose and he said, stop, stop, stop. And just at that time, the paramedics arrived. And he told the paramedics, please work on the, on the little girl first. And that's what they done. So at that time, there was a lot of people that started to arrive, uh, close friends, hubby came, um, and they were working on the kids. Um, went to hospital. Um, because it was pediatric trauma, uh, cases cannot go to one hospital. They only accept one pediatric case at a time. So the kids were split into two, two different hospitals. So I went with uh, Caitlin to the first hospital. And at that hospital, they announced that my seven-year-old daughter died. I remember broken as ever. It's not supposed to be that way. Us as parents, we need to go before our kids do. But she was gone. Um, at that time, there was a lot of people that was around us, and I remember a girlfriend of mine, she came to me to embrace me, and I looked at her and I told her, Caitlin is safe. And she looked at me all confused, and I told her, God's got her. And then she says, yeah, he does. And that was me saying bye to her. 
And in that rush, um, we had to get to my son, um, knowing that if he gets up and we're not there, um, he's going to be in a state. So we rushed off to the next hospital. When we arrived there, there was hundreds of people, hundreds of familiar faces of family, of friends. The support was unbelievable. We arrived there, waiting to hear. We were taken upstairs to see him. A neurosurgeon came and spoke to us, and he said, your son is brain dead. So, my world shattered again. And I couldn't understand why me again. And um, I remember sitting with Cal and the doctor was like, you need to say your goodbyes because his organs are shutting down. So they, they, they took all the machines off him. Mahabi was able to embrace him and to hold him and his heart stopped beating. And we said goodbye to my five-year-old son. I remember the day, Candice. It seems like, yeah, it, it was probably the saddest and the most tragic thing I've ever experienced in my life, watching you journey with that, with your kids. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I, 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 yeah, it was hard. It was, it was hard. It was so, so, so hard. Here, doing life for so long with two kids, and now both are gone. Mm. What next? What do we do? And I remember you sharing that um, in that moment you said to, to Cal, your sister's wedding. Yeah, I did. Um, Caitlin and Cal, they were so close. So, yeah, I said, yeah, your sister's waiting for him. Yeah. But then something... Incredible. I mean, we journeyed with that with you as the church, and there were lots of people in your space. A couple of days later, it was two days later, we had the funeral. Um, you celebrated a wedding anniversary in between that. All of this happened on the 17th of December, but you chose to be in church on Christmas Day. Yeah. Um, they asked, well, people asked us what we want to do for Christmas, and just saying farewell to our kids on the 22nd, we said it's Christmas Day and we need to be in church. So at that time, um, we had a lot of family support and many of our family are non-believers and they just wanted to be there to support us, so we brought everyone to church on Christmas Day. Um, I remember walking into church and feeling like this is home, the comfort, the, the love, the support, it was the right place to be at the right time. Um, we sat and started to praise and worship. And praise and worship, when you're broken, is something else. It's really, really something else. And I remember at that time, as broken as ever, 
when the song started, um, it was one particular song that I remember was Hindsight by Hillsong. And just raising my hands um, and praising God in that brokenness, God spoke to me. And the words of the song was, God's not finished with you yet. Yeah. And you kind of held on to that and you said, what's next, God? Yeah. This is a few days after <laughs> saying goodbye to your baby. That's quite incredible. Incredible. I know they had, there was a lot of people in your world, a lot of people that were there. And you said Pastor Andre had said something quite significant to you. Yeah. Um, again, when we came back um, from both my kids dying and um, we needed to be in their room, in their space, because um, that's where we felt them the most. And I remember um, Pastor Andre and Pastor Omar coming home and a lot was said, but one particular thing that I took was uh, Pastor Andre apologizing. And he said, I wanna apologize for the people that are gonna come into your space now because being through what you guys have been through, nobody knows what to say and don't hold anything against anyone at that time. And he was spot on. He was absolutely spot on. And sometimes, you know, ladies, when we know that people's going through tragedy and trauma, just be there. And it's okay even if you don't know what to say. And it's okay if you do say something that's maybe a little bit inappropriate, be there, because life is about people and you shared about having people in your space. And one particular friend that was trying to help you, because God's not finished with you yet, what does that next mean? And the next meant healing, restoration, getting stronger for what God had in your next. And you, um, she put you in touch with a pastor overseas that had lost um, twin kids as well. And you felt that that helped you because she gave you some advice to just get up each morning, and because you stopped talking to God. Yes. You said, I stopped talking to God, and I had to get up each morning, and this pastor said, even if you can't thank God for anything inside your house, thank God for the stars and the trees and something outside of your house. And yeah. after doing that for seven days, you, you cried like you never knew you could. Yeah, let God have it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Yeah, you cried and you spoke and you challenged God, but that was the start of your healing. Absolutely. And once that you'd gone through that stage, you thought, I'm ready for another baby. <laughs> I'm ready for another baby. And Dev wasn't ready for that. But yeah. I remember you saying you'd gone to your gynae. So just talk us very quickly through what happened then. Yeah, Dev wasn't ready at all. Um, he went to my gynae. Gynae was like, no ways. Uh, your uterus wall is too thin. You're not gonna be able to carry. Um, don't do it. Um, First you had to convince Dev, who was a little bit reluctant. Yeah. Clearly he was, he was still carrying this a little bit differently from you. Yeah. And then the doctor saying, you can't have a baby. Yeah, and he was like, I told you so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then you felt pregnant. I did. You did. And then even during the pregnancy, because, again, the doctor said you can't have the baby, you had another bumper bashing. Yeah, I did. So we had the phone call that you had another bumper bashing. You got through that, and then you welcomed 
baby Sith into the world. Yes. <laughs> Seth was born a year after the tragedy of your two babies. Yes. So a year later, those days you kind of, it was hard for you, but then you welcomed this new blessing that God had blessed you with. Talk us through that a little bit. Um, yeah, so Seth came into our world and uh, he was Adam and Eve's third child. So it was fitting for us to give him that name, Seth. Um, so yeah, that's what third we've done. Child of, after Cain and Abel, yes. Adam and Eve's third child was called Seth. Yes. And it was starting a start of a new generation within that. So that was quite beautiful. Yeah. Um, there's a beautiful picture of you, and yeah. there's it, Caitlin and Kalel with baby Seth just watching over, so that's quite beautiful. <laughs> but your story didn't end there. Yes. Because two years later, we welcomed baby number two. <laughs> and we, we do need to end and we do need to land. This is a story of victory amidst the sadness that you carried from one battle to the next. And I have to ask the question, how do you still serve God? How do you keep going? How have you moved past and what do you feel now? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's understanding the truth. And that was me figuring out or understanding the truth. And the truth is that I know Jesus died for me and rose again. I know about heaven and hell. There is life after death in eternity. I know that. I know to be born on earth is to die eventually on earth. And this was, this was a tough truth. I know that I carry and bear kids, but they don't belong to me. They belong to the Lord, and it's my duty to teach them and to raise them in the ways of the Lord. My life is to glorify the Lord and allow him to work through me for his light to shine. Whatever I do on earth will determine where I end up afterwards. And man, I want to see my loved ones, as God promised. So no matter where you are, broken, shattered, in pain, asking God why, I've been there. I've been through one battle after another, as I've openly shared. This is just a season and the season will pass. And it's up to you. It's up to you to pick up yourself. And put one foot forward and leave the rest to God. Because God's got you, just like he got me. Beautiful. Candice, thank you for being so vulnerable tonight. Thank you for sharing your story. You are an incredible woman. I've got such admiration from you mm -hmm. as I've watched you journey this, honestly, the most tragic thing I've ever heard. And I've seen you come through and I've seen God's light shine 
through you as you've done this. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a quote that I want to, Robert Schiller says, tough times never last, but tough people do. Even in the darkest nights, even the darkest night will end and the sun will rise, and we've seen that with your kids. And there's a beautiful quote by George Muller that says, be assured if you walk with him and look to him and expect help from him, he will never fail you, and you've felt the goodness of God through your journey. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed and inspired by this ministry. 